G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. When you gave your life to Jesus, the power of the Spirit comes on the inside. You permeate the culture and you preserve the good. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and so far in this series that we've called Salt and Light, we've been looking at how we can be effective as salt and light in the communities in which God has placed us. Today, Pastor Jeff is preaching from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It's a verse about doing everything without grumbling. We'll be considering what does the transformed life really look like, a life that's truly changed by God. Let's start the message now with Pastor Jeff on Today with Jeff Vines. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Man, we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Philippians 2, 12. Hold that just for a while because it'll take us a while to get there. But how many of you have seen the show Extreme Makeovers? Come on. Am I the only one in the room that weeps like a baby when they bring it out at the end? I mean, some of the people that come on this show, it involves people who believe that they somehow have been physically flawed since birth, all right? They've been living with this for years. They've been ridiculed when they were young. A lot of people show up on the show and they are suffering from extreme depression. It's a sad case, man. And it could really concern any Part of their physical makeup. It's their hair, their nose, their mouth, their teeth, their skin, their weight. And so they come on the show expecting this wonderful transformation. And in some cases, folks, it's painful. Have you seen it? There's surgery, some kind of a medical procedure or a diet or exercise program where there's this coach just yelling and screaming at you, telling you you can do it. And they're willing to go through it. They want an extreme makeover, so they go through extreme procedures. It's amazing. What's really extreme, though, is it's extremely emotional when the person comes out and all their family and friends have not seen them since the transformation. I mean, people get emotional. The family start weeping and crying. If it's a husband and wife, it's like he's never seen his wife before. Or if it's the husband, she's never seen her husband. It's like a brand new person. You can't even tell that they were once the same person. It's amazing. I mean, people in the studio audience who don't even know these people, they see the transformation, they start crying as if, man, good for you, something great's happened to you. And millions of people watch this show. I read this past week, they are swamped with applications to get on this television show. So evidently, there are a lot of people in America who desperately want and need an extreme makeover. 
if you go on the show, you're expecting a transformation. Man, if you come out on the other end and there's no transformation, you're going to be asking questions like, what happened, man? What went wrong? Because they assume that transformation is not optional, but normative. Now, here is my question as we continue the series on salt and light. Do we have the right to expect the same about each other where our soul is concerned? Come on now. Do we not have the right to expect that when somebody comes into Christ, there's an encounter with the Christ, that over time, there should be some transformation in your life. You know, that if you're an angry person, you may not be the next day just perfectly at peace, but over time, I mean, my goodness, five, ten years from now, that you are less and less angry and more and more gentle if you're not a forgiving person. That over time, because of the encounter with Christ, because the Spirit of God's in you, that you're going to be more forgiving and gracious and merciful, right? Do, should we not expect transformation? Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that when you gave your life to Jesus, the power of the Spirit comes on the inside. And now you permeate the culture and you preserve the good and you bring life where there's disintegration into your family as a husband, as a wife, into your school as a student, into your workplace. You bring life where there's death in relationships, whatever it is. When you walk into a room, man, and there's greed. Greed is exposed because your life exudes with generosity. And you just shine the light in the darkness without having to say a word. See, that's what this whole series is about. That we would bring the ideal into the real. Jesus said, when you pray, pray. Our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would bring up there, down here. The ideal, the way the world could and should be into the real, the way that it really is. So, should we expect transformation? Absolutely. Philippians 2, later on, before we get to the verse we're going to be reading, in verse 15 through 16 says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And my favorite passage concerning transformation is 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, now he's talking about in the Old Testament, you couldn't see Christ clearly. He was there, but you had to know the prophecies. He says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, that is from level to level, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit doing that in us. So in the same way that on extreme makeover, they should expect some physical transformation, should we not expect a soul transformation of those who come to Christ and to see a difference in our lives from year to year. John Ortberg, a favorite pastor of mine, I read a lot of his books, all of his books actually, tells a story about a guy named Hank. And he says that Hank was a cranky young guy when he first came to church. And 50 years later, he's a cranky old guy. And he says one day one of the elders walked up to him finally and said, Hank, are you happy? And Hank said, yeah, just in a monotone voice, yeah, I'm happy. And the elder said, then tell your face. <laughs> Apparently he never told his face because his face never found out. But he said that Hank complained about everything, his job, his family, his children, his wife, his church, his society, people who were different from him, people who spoke different languages, people of different color. He complained about everything. But the one thing he complained about most for 50 years, he said, the music in my church is too loud. 
and he would talk to people in the congregation. Then he went to the elders. Then he went to the staff. Then he went to the senior pastor. And when he couldn't get any joy there, he would stand out, says John Ortberg, true story. He said his real name's not Hank, but be assured the person is real. He would stand at the visitor's booth for first-time visitors, waiting on first-time people to come so that he could tell them the music in my church is too loud. That's not the way you want to greet first-time visitors. And Orberg says, one day, when you thought it couldn't get any worse, I was in my office. I got a phone call from the receptionist. She said, a man from OSHA is here to see you. You know who OSHA is? It's a federal regulatory agency that oversees safety and the workplace conditions. Orberg could not believe it. He said, what is a guy from OSHA doing at my church? And the guy comes up and starts giving him a speech about decibel levels at airports and rock concerts. And then it dawned on him that Hank had called OSHA. So Orberg says, I got all of my church staff in here to my office. And because we were all laughing, we couldn't believe that a guy from OSHA was here. And he said, he apologized to the guy from OSHA. And he said, look, I'm sorry, but it's not every day we get a visitor from the federal, I mean, an agency like this, especially from OSHA at our church. And the guy said, you got no idea. You think it's bad for you. How about how bad it is for me? All week I've been abused by the employees at OSHA because they were giving me such a hard time that I was going to go out and bust a church. <laughs> it's a great story. I had to cut it short, but Orberg says Hank was not changing. He was not loving. He was not kind. He was not forgiving, accepting, merciful. Again, he didn't like people of other accents, skin color, ethnic backgrounds. He was easily irritated, miserable, extremely judgmental. But Orberg goes on in this article to say what was worse yet is that nobody seemed to care that he wasn't changing. It's like there was no expectation in the church for Hank to change. And nobody was bothered by it. Again, should we not see a transformation of some sorts in our lives from year to year? Now, here's the problem. I believe that for most people in church, there is a small category of people who do not want to change. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about this. The seed will go out on some soil and it will be choked out by the cares of the world. So there are some people who don't really care if they transform, don't really care if they change because they're choked out by the cares of the world. So they get their spiritual buzz here on the weekend, but really they're gonna live the way they want to live and there's really no passion for them to change. And it's because the seed of God's word did not really take. But I don't think that's the case for most people in this room right now. I think for most people, they want to change. They just don't know how. I mean, and they hear a sermon like this so far and they think, great, another guilt trip, here we go. I know I'm not what I should be. I know I'm not measuring up. And you've known me long enough to know that that's not where we're going to go with this. You're still saved. You're saved by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of God. I mean, you're not going to lose that. You, thank God you're saved. Not on performance, but what on Christ did. But he still wants you to change. He still wants transformation. So for most people, there is a great misunderstanding concerning how spiritual formation takes place. And the misunderstanding concerns the division of labor. Who's responsible for what? Now, if you've been married for any length of time, you know the division of labor is a, an important topic around the household. As a matter of fact, my mom and dad, I can talk about them now because they're both gone. I think it's relatively safe. <laughs> and I came from a family from the South, remember, ultra conservative, where everything with my mom and dad was 50-50. Everything. My dad told my mom what to do 
And she did it, 50-50. I didn't say it was right. I just said, that's the way it is in the South. I mean, she would get up at 5.30 on Saturday morning cooking him breakfast every morning before he went to work. Full breakfast buffet. Even in the kitchen, it was 50-50. Mom cooked, dad ate. 50-50 all the way. Now, I want you to imagine a moment what happened when I married Robin. And for those of you who know her, imagine what happened. I marry her with that expectation. She's got a father who did everything in her house. Matter of fact, my in-laws are finally gone. But I will say one thing. While my father-in-law was at my home, he repaired anything that was broken. I mean, the guy fixes everything. Now, how do you think Robin felt? She has a father like that and a husband who can't even change the oil in his car. (laughs) How, How do you think she felt? So Robin and I have been working on the division of labor since the day one of our marriage. And we've come up with this. Now, no one else has gotten this. I'm hoping that you will get what I'm saying here. We've come up with a compromise, and here's what it is. Whatever I need done, I do. Whatever she needs done, I do. And that's the compromise. (laughs) And so far, so good has been working out. Now, when it comes to spiritual transformation, the division of labor, there are some people who believe that it is totally up to them. And they quote Leviticus 11:44, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves to be holy because I'm holy. So they'll say, God's job is to make sure he's holy, my job is to make sure I'm holy, and they turn into these little Rambo-type Christians. It's scary. <laughs> and they rank up points for activities. They Bible study, prayer, memorization, I share my faith, I helped the old lady across the street today. They make a checklist, they check each one off, and at the end of the day, they look at it and say, yes, you're enough, I'm holy. But ultimately, they're not happy. They're not being transformed from the inside out. They're miserable people, and they're incredibly judgmental. Because we think that by trying harder, somehow that's what makes us holy. Now, I used to be a basketball player. I say that after that debacle that happened. I got talked into playing in that benefit game over at the Christian school last uh, year and made a fool out of myself. So I used to be a basketball player. And I remember those times when we were playing the tough teams that our coach would get us in the locker room. We had that crazy, man. We would hit our heads on the locker trying to fire ourselves up. You remember those days? Why would we do that? Bang, bang. We'd slap each other, hit each other on the shoulders. I mean, we were dead tired before the game even started. (laughs) And that was to somehow psych ourselves up that we could do it. And really, we usually went on to beat the teams we were supposed to beat and lose to the teams we were supposed to lose to. It's the same thing when it comes to the Christian life. Some people turn into these Rambo Christians and they say, if I just try harder, get tough, psych myself up at a spiritual pep rally, then I'll be able to defeat the sin of my life. Ask anybody at Celebrate Recovery how long that lasts just by a spiritual pep rally. There's another group that believes when it comes to spiritual transformation, it's totally up to God. And they quote 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You see that? He will sanctify you through and through. He is faithful. He will keep you blameless. It's all passive. It's what's being done to you rather than what you do. So people say, if God wants me holy, he'll make me holy. If he wants me holy, he'll zap me and it'll happen. Now here's what Paul says, and it's beautiful. He says in Philippians 2, our passage, we're finally getting to it. He says, continue 
to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, as soon as you read that, some people say, wait, wait, what do you mean work out your own salvation? I thought salvation was by grace through faith. What do you mean work? Well, understand the Greek word is katergezomai, uh, which is a word that means something was started in you. It was started for a reason. Now bring that purpose to fruition, complete it. What he's saying is your salvation is secure, but work out, bring it to completion. What does he mean? He means that you could not be right with God unless you were made clean on the inside. You are made clean on the inside because of the cross of Christ, not because of something you did. So when you gave your life to Jesus, you claimed the blood of Jesus and you are made clean. When you are made clean, then a holy and pure and perfect God can come on the inside and live in you. Now, for those who are new on the journey, you're thinking that is the wackiest thing I've ever heard. Not really. God, you would expect to be spirit and not be limited by time nor space. So God is able to live on the inside of us if he chooses. And he says, when we are made clean by the cross, he comes on the inside and lives. And his purpose in living there is to work with our conscience, to work with our faculties, our reasoning faculties, to work to make us holy and blameless, to make us like his son. Now, so he tells us to work out as if it's our job. Work out. So what do we do? But then he says, do it with fear and trembling. Are we to be afraid that we're going to lose our salvation? No. Those Greek words means, mean respect and awe. To respect, this is serious business about transformation. And awe in the sense, we're so enamored with it that we know we can't do it. We're going to need some help. And then he says, God, verse 13, is the one who will work in you to will and to act. So evidently, I have a role to play in this transformation and God has a role to play and I want to talk to you about those two roles. Now, folks, look up a second. Stuff like this just inspires me. It means that I know we can do this. You, you can change, man. You can defeat the addictions or the alcoholism or the gambling problem or the pornography issue. You can defeat them, man. You can beat them. You can beat the fear, the anxiety. You can beat it. And it's a matter of internal transformation. But you've got to understand the division of labor. So first of all, I want to talk about our role quickly. What is our role? Now, would you not agree there are some things in life we can control? For instance, you can turn off your cell phone so that it doesn't ring during this sermon. You can. It's something you can do. You can actually get to church on time. You can. It can happen. You got a plan, but you control it. You can actually decide that you will give generously. You can. You can decide, I am going to give to the kingdom of Christ generously. You can laugh at the senior pastor's jokes even when they're not funny. It's called sympathy laughter. Just like that, right? You can do it. You can, but there are other things that you cannot control. For instance, you can't control the weather, right? That's God's job. You can't control the gas prices. That's obviously the devil's job. <laughs> you can't control the Cubs winning the World Series. That would require an act of God. <laughs> but there's a third category. Third category. Like going to sleep. Now, now take medication out of it like Xanax. 
take it out. And when you think about going to sleep, when we lived in New Zealand, Delaney and Sion, they're about eight and 10 years old, respectively. Delaney, if you told him to go to sleep at night, since he was only half awake during the day anyway, going to sleep was not a problem with him because he was never really fully awake. So boom, he's out. Sion, different, uh, different person altogether, just energetic. And I would say to her when she was about eight, go to sleep, Sion. And she would say what? I can't go to sleep. Now you can't make yourself go to sleep in the same way that you can reach down and make yourself turn off the cell phone. But there are things you can do to open yourself up to sleep. You can get in a dark room. You can lay on a soft mattress. You can stop talking to your brother, Sion. You can stop playing with the light switch, Sion. You can listen to a Dane Johnson sermon. Sleep is sure to come. (laughs) You can put some music on, some soft music. You can't control sleep, but you're not helpless either. You have a role to play. Now, stay with me. How many of you could run a marathon right now? Some of you can. Some of you are training. Some of you can run, not very many, but some of you can. Now, how many of you could run a marathon if you really wanted to next year, a year from now? That's right. Some of you, you can't run it if I gave you the rest of your life. And maybe not even in heaven, but right now. Now, now, I said before, I used to be a basketball player, but even when I was a good basketball player, no one ever accused me of being a great athlete. Because I was not. Running is, is just not something I do well. I even look pretty funny when I run. But I met this lady, Alison Rowe, when I was a minister in New Zealand who won the Boston and New York marathons the same year. And she said, Pastor Jeff, she came to my church. She said, Pastor Jeff, I want you to run a marathon. Oh, are you kidding? I can't run two miles without falling over myself. I'm going to train you. And she did. She gave me a 16-week program. And I would progressively run more and more. Diet was involved, everything. And at the end of it, my father-in-law, who ran 10 marathons in his 60s, came to visit me in New Zealand and asked me to train with him. I ran 22 miles at the drop of a hat. Didn't die. I was okay, and my time was pretty good. Now, Michael Phelps is my greatest, or my favorite athlete. And I'm not even into swimming that much, but the guy, God made this boy to swim, man. This guy is amazing. But I want to tell you something about him. I've used this before. Here's Michael Phelps' diet, Okay. Breakfast, three fried egg sandwiches loaded with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise, two cups of coffee, one five-egg omelet, one bowl of grits, three slices of French toast topped with powdered sugar, three chocolate chip pancakes. Breakfast. Then he moves on to lunch. One pound of enriched pasta. Two large ham and cheese sandwiches with mayo on white bread. That's right, not whole grain, white bread. (laughs) Energy drinks, packing 1,000 calories. Then he moves on to dinner, one pound of pasta, an entire large, probably extra large pizza, and more energy drinks. His workout routine, by the way, you can eat like that too if you do this. He trains six hours a day, six days a week, and even if it falls on Christmas Day, he still trains. He swims approximately 50 miles a week, 80 kilometers, over eight miles a day. Now the question is, why does he do it? Because that's what an Olympian does. And at no point, I guarantee you, does Michael Phelps say, I wonder if I can stop all these disciplines and still be an Olympian. He understands that they're inseparable, that God made him to swim. But when he engages in these disciplines, he morphs into an Olympic gold medalist. 
Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. And we're going to pause there for today, but next time we'll hear what that comparison is that Pastor Jeff was about to make. And the point he's making will become clear. So join me next time as we continue looking at what we can learn from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, a verse about doing everything without grumbling. But the less I engage in the spiritual disciplines, the more God needs the storm to wake me up. If He's not going to teach me through the Word and I will not engage in the disciplines, then He'll teach me through the reality of life, hoping that I will run back to the Word when I get in trouble. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.